PFG Private Wealth Management LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. The topics and information discussed during this podcast are not intended to provide tax or legal advice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Insurance products and services are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed insurance agents. The rules of retirement have changed. No longer can most of us rely on Social Security or a single pension to fund our futures. We're living longer and retirement doesn't just last a handful of years anymore. Instead, you might stay retired for 20 or 30 years and maybe even more. We need to look at retirement through a new lens with fresh eyes, with a new approach and plan of attack. Here to answer the call are financial advisors John Texera and Nick McDevitt of PFG Private Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Tampa Bay area. This podcast is Retirement Planning Redefined, and it starts right now. Welcome into another edition of Retirement Planning Redefined with John and Nick from PFG Private Wealth. We're going to tap into the Secure Act 2.0, a couple of uh, items you might want to be aware of if you're not. Four ways that it could impact you. Uh, they went ahead and got this passed at the very, very end of 2022, right before the Christmas break. And some more changes coming down the pike. A lot of changes, really, for this in the SECURE Act. But we're going to touch on some of the bigger ones today. There's a lot of little nuance. So if you definitely have questions around it, absolutely make sure you're talking with your financial professional uh, or reach out to John and Nick and have those chats with them at PFG Private Wealth. Dot com. Nick, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Uh, doing pretty good. I uh, can't believe it's already uh, almost February. Uh, yeah, at the time we're taping this, it's like a day away. So we'll be dropping yeah. this the first week or so of January or February. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah time is moving quickly. So for sure. John, how, what's going on with you, my friend? Uh, not too much. Doing all right. Looking forward to, uh, I know Nick's not looking forward to this, but the upcoming Super Bowls, two good, uh, two good teams. So yeah. uh, looking forward to checking out those quarterbacks go at each other. Yeah, yeah, it's been an, it was interesting playoff season for sure. So uh, not not the result I was looking for either, Nick. So, but all good. <laughs> so yep. it, it is what it is. But uh, let's talk about some of these changes, guys, because they did a ton of them. Uh, but I want to touch on some of the bigger ones and any other ones you feel are important. You want to touch on as well. But I like I said I, right there before. Christmas, literally like the Friday before Christmas, they went ahead and passed this as part of that omnibus bill, all sorts of stuff in there. And they went tinkering around with some more things. And the first one on the list that might affect most people is the RMDs, the age. They changed it again. So uh, you can give us a little backstory if you'd like from how you want to go with, you know, whatever angle you want to go in, but explain to us what they did. Sure. So for many years, the RMD or required minimum distribution age for um, pre-tax retirement accounts was uh, 70 and a half. And, you know, at least uh, I was just personally excited when they got rid of the half year um, because, you know, why in the world did they have it in the first place? But um, so in early 2020, they pushed it back to age 72. So people picked up about a year and a half. And now um, for anyone born between 1951 and 1958, the starting age is 73. So they bumped it back one more year. And for those born in 1959 or later, uh, the age is 75. So, you know, from a standpoint of impact for people, um, there are, I would say, a big chunk of, 
you know, people out there are taking withdrawals from their retirement accounts and the amount that they're taking is pretty close to their RMD amount that would be required anyways. Um, but for those that aren't, it gives them more time to kind of defer funds, let them continue to compound. Um, and from our side of things, it kind of just lets us be a little bit more strategic on creating a liquidation order and helping clients figure out, you know, uh, which accounts we should start taking withdrawals from when. Um, and uh, this just builds a more flexibility, which is nice. Yeah. So overall, do you do you kind of like this concept of them pushing this back a little further? I mean, either way, to me, it feels like it works for them to get more tax revenue, right? Because uh, either the accounts get bigger and they get more RMDs that you have to pay taxes on, right? The government gets their share. Or people are doing Roth conversions. They have more time to plan for something like that, for example. And they're getting tax revenue that way. So either way, to me, it seems like it's a win-win for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, realistically, yeah, I think just in general, people don't like to be told what to do. So anytime, <laughs> you know, from looking at it from a client standpoint, just to know that there's flexibility, uh, because I can say that I've had more than one and probably more than 10 clients be unhappy when they realize, you know, that required minimum distributions are a thing. And then, you know, to only realize that they're, they were taking the money out anyway. So it's just literally the psychological impact of, you know, choosing to do it versus being forced to do it. Okay. All right. So that was one big change that they did. John, let's talk a little bit about the special catch-up contribution. Uh, give us a quick breakdown on normal catch-up contribution, something that happens all the time. They change the numbers from year to year, what it is, but then also this new little wrinkle they added. And let's get your thoughts on that. So, you know, normal retirement contributions are what the, what the normal limits are for a 401k, um, whether you're going to make a contribution or not to it, you, you do max out. And what is the current? 22.5, I think. Year? That got up, up as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's 22.5 yeah, for the so current. Yeah, 22.5 is kind of normal. You know, catch-up provision is once you're over the age of 50, you're able to actually do an additional amount, which they consider, hey, catching up for basically your retirement. Um, so for 2023, it's going to be 7,500, which is a nice, you know, jump from last year. Um, what makes it even better is anyone between the age of 60 and 63, starting in 2025, can be up to about $10,000. So that is really significant, and, and why that is is we found a lot of people when they get you know into their 50s, they're kind of in their highest income earning year. So it really comes up quite a bit where it's like, hey, I, I want to save more money, but I'm really limited in what I could do. So this is really going to help people, you know, defer more for retirement, which ultimately, you know, in the long run helps them overall have a have a larger nest egg and more retirement income. Yeah. And so they it's interesting what they did that. So yeah, they moved it on. They added this extra four year thing. So again, you know, what's your thoughts on that? It doesn't kick in until twenty twenty five, but you think that's a useful tool to add even more room for people to sock away? Yeah, I think anything that encourages people to save is definitely a positive for retirement. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on that, Nick? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's again, it's one of those things where uh, when you add in flexibility and uh, the ability for people to, uh, you know, kind of adapt, especially knowing how many um, 401k plans allow for Roth contributions now, you know, so even if it's from the perspective of, hey, you know, maybe they don't want to add more pre-tax money, but they want to take advantage and you know, use some of that buffer for Roth funds. It's just nice to have the flexibility and, and ability to be able to put in more funds. Yeah. Okay. Uh, an interesting one that caught a lot of people off guard, guys, especially a lot of advisors, was the 529 to Roth transfer option. 
So let's talk a little bit about that. That's that's been a kind of a nice little wrinkle. People have been pretty surprised by this. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, you know, from a perspective. So, you know, for those that aren't super familiar with 529 plans, they are um essentially education uh, accounts and there are, you know, funding restrictions and one of the in theory downsides on 529 plans previously were the way and the timing of when you had to use the funds. And so, you know, essentially using funds in the years that costs are incurred, there was some ability to be able to transfer uh, funds from one person to another. But now, essentially what they're doing is uh, they're kind of reducing the quote unquote risk of overfunding a 529 plan. Mm -hmm. And they're letting people um, essentially use 529 funds to make uh, Roth contributions when they start working. So as a reminder for people to be able to contribute to a Roth IRA, there has to be earned income. So when there's earned income, you can contribute up to 100% up to of the earned income up to the maximum amount. And then there are income limitations and restrictions on the on the how much you make for versus how much you can put in. To be honest, realistically, this is probably going to be something that is much more tiered towards higher income earners. Um, you know, definitely the kind of maybe there's grandparents that have a significant amount of money and they can overfund um, a 529 plan for a grandkid. And it can be a way to essentially start to kind of, you know, build in some future wealth transfer, um, which is cool, you know, to be able to have uh, a creative way to be able to do that. Um, most likely that's how I kind of see it playing out overall. So it's it's just nice to have that flexibility. And, and I was pretty surprised as well that it was something that that they came up with to integrate into the plan. Yeah. I mean, so if you wind up not using it, you know, maybe you got the one kid that doesn't use it and you don't, uh, you know, you're going to give it to the other kid or you don't have a second kid. It just gives you options. I mean, other people still like looking at different ways to fund for college, but it's nice to have that extra wrinkle in there. So a lot of people have been fairly pleased and surprised by that one. Uh, John, any thoughts on that from yourself since you've got a couple little ones? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I like this, um, you know, because one of the things that I've always thought about is, you know, let's let's kind of take off the table overfunding. But, you know, what if they don't need, use it at all? You know, what if they decide to go a different route from, you know, kind of traditional college or uh, what if they get, you know, a ton of these grants and things like that? Um, so I, I think it's a nice feature, kind of puts a little peace of mind where it's like, hey, you know, if they if they don't end up using it and you try to just pull it out, you get hit with these uh, taxes and penalties and the growth. So I think it, it, it makes, puts my mind at ease a little bit more knowing, Hey, if I contribute to this, that it'll still be going to them and they still be able to benefit even if they don't use it for school. Yeah, definitely. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the other changes that kind of uh, addressing, I guess, maybe students, if you will. Uh, and there's a lot of changes that they did, guys, to just, I think, in general, company-sponsored plans, a lot of little nuances. Again, you may want to talk with your financial professional to see. They did some little things like moving, um, I think, uh, Roth options right now. So matching contributions can go to a Roth and lots of little stuff. So you may want to have those conversations. But let's talk about the changes to the company 401k match, especially for younger folks. I think this was maybe to address the whole student loan debacle and all the conversation that's going on about to forgive, not to forgive, whatever the case is. So explain a little bit what they've done with this, whoever wants to take this one. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with it. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there, Mark, on, uh, you know, 
kind of throwing this in there to, to help with the what we have going on with the student loan issue there. But, um, you know, this is pretty cool, in my opinion. You know, I got a, a younger sister-in-law and, uh, you know, she's got law student, a uh, hefty amount of student loans. So, you know, we were talking about some different things and, you know, we talked about, you know, helped her out with uh, picking some stuff in her uh, employer plan. And it came up to this and this exact conversation came where she said, hey, I'm paying such a big amount on my student loans. I don't, I don't have any extra really to save for retirement. So this is a great way, in my opinion, to, you know, uh, you know, try to, you know, th- that way they can get something going to the retirement account because, you know, as, you know, Nick and I do planning for people, you know, there is sometimes a shortfall and I, the earlier you can start, the better. So I think this is definitely a great way to get people to at least get the money into the retirement accounts. And ultimately when they have the cash flow, they start to see what their match is doing and growing. You know, I, I could see them starting to contribute themselves a little bit more as well. Yeah, what's your take on it, Nick? The the student loan burden is so significant for so many people, and you know, and that's a separate, you know, the whole validity of it, and does it make sense, and you know, all that kind of stuff. I think is a separate conversation. Um, and so the reality is, is that there are a ton of people living with that, you know, and so anything that can be done to provide some sort of options and flexibility and encourage employers to assist uh, with with that, I think is a, a big deal because, you know, ultimately so many employers, you know, they are looking to have these sorts of certain certifications, certain underlying education requirements, all that kind of stuff. Right. So they're a participant in, you know, kind of the the machine, so to speak. So to me, it makes sense to to integrate some kind of creative thinking into it. Okay. Well, so those are some of the major changes. Anything else I missed, guys, you want to bring up? I know like with the RMDs, they little things like they reduced the penalty, which was a pretty hefty penalty, even though a lot of times I don't think they enforced it. Uh, any other little items that you want to share? No, I think these are the main ones that are, are good. And, and like you say, always, you know, if people have any questions, you know, definitely reach out to us. And as, as we're meeting with clients, if something pertains to them, we always kind of bring up kind of what, what makes sense for them. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. So some major items there that they updated when it came to the Secure Act 2.0. There's no really big gotchas. It doesn't seem like there was with the first one with like the removal of the stretch IRA, for example. That one seemed to be annoying for a lot of advisors and stuff like that. Any big gotchas here that you feel like they that's, you know, make it a, a real concern or for the most part overall some decent changes? Not that I've seen so far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You never know, right? I mean, they still got, I mean, what is this, 10 years on some of this stuff? Some of the stuff starts in 23, some of it 24, some of it 25, some of it 2033. So they got a while to roll some of this stuff out. So we'll see how it all plays out. But if you've got questions, again, make sure you reach out to the guys, have a conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, all that good jazz. And uh, you can find all of that information at pfgprivatewealth.com. That's pfgprivatewealth.com. Guys, thanks for hanging out with me. As always, I appreciate your time. For John and Nick, I'm Mark. We'll see you next time here on Retirement Planning Redefined. 